Thanks for joining us here at Faith Assembly for our weekly podcast. We're so excited you're tuning in this week. To learn more about our church, you can visit us online at myfaithassembly.org. Join us live or connect with us on Facebook. Daniel chapter 2 is where we're going to look today. We're starting a new series. Um, I've been wanting to do this for a a little while now, and uh, just now's a a good time for us, and and, uh, just want to talk about prophecy and uh, future events. Um, Daniel, we know Daniel from the, the book of Daniel. We know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rescued from the fiery furnace. We know Daniel saved from the lion's den. We, we know those stories, but um, most of Daniel is not just the heroic and legendary tales, or forgive me, they're not tales, legendary stories and facts of what God has done in people's lives, but there's a lot of vision and revelation and uh, prophecy that is found in there. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at, at the five prophecies found in Daniel today, starting in Daniel chapter 2. Um, and uh, just simply titling this, Where We Go From Here. Daniel is in transition. And how many know life is all about transitions? Uh, we go from stages of life, and even at the end of those stages of life, there's a great transition into eternal life. Um, and so life is all about transitions. Uh, if you like the season you're in, don't get too comfortable because it'll change. Uh, if you don't like the season you're in, hold on because it will change. And so life is, is, is that transition, but ultimately making us ready for this, this hope, this eternal hope that we have in Christ. But where do we go from here? What does the future look like? And so we're going we're gonna to take a look at that in Daniel chapter 2. Let me just, uh, just give you a, a little bit of a setup here. Daniel is the writer. He's authoring this book that he's writing about 600 years before Jesus comes onto the scene. So 600 B.C., 605 um, is, is his time frame, uh, but he's taken captive as a 17-year-old. And so Babylon has come in and overtaken Jerusalem and Israel, and they do it in stages. Uh, they decimate it over time to the point that it's left like a city without walls, Um, and it's in a condition that Ezra and Nehemiah go back to rebuild the walls, and so this is prior to that time, and uh, while they're they're in exile, Daniel is hearing from the Lord, writing uh, on behalf of God for the people of encouragement, and he He's, he's receiving revelation. But early on, as he is, is there, he and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that we, we usually know, uh, they rise in ranks because they have such favor on them. Uh, God has given them such favor that they're 10 times smarter than the other wise men and the other consultants. And so Nebuchadnezzar gives them access. They have access of influence, and so they're in the, the clan of wise men. Well, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, in this, this, this first vision that we, that we read about and, and prophetic word that's given, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Nebuchadnezzar is sleeping one night while he's dreaming. Uh, this dream comes upon him. He's startled by the dream and wakes up and says, I need to figure this dream out. Did you ever have that dream where you're like, that was a crazy dream, but you don't remember all the details? How many know what I'm talking about? Nebuchadnezzar could have had one of those moments. He's like, that was a dream. I know some of the stuff, but I don't know all the details. I need my wise men to come and tell me what it is. So he calls his astrologers, his sorcerers, the, the, the enchanters, the, the people that are, that are there. He calls them in and says, hey, tell me the dream I had, and then tell me what it means. And so they say to him, the, the astrologers say, well, tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it is. He says, no, it's not going to work that way. It won't work that way because I'm not going to tell you the pieces I know 
because I don't know all of it. I don't remember all of it. There's more to it. And so I'm not going to tell you what I know because you could just make something up. And this dream was too significant that I need to know you're telling the truth. And the only way I'll know you're telling the truth is you tell me the dream and tell me what it means. In, in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, he's like, it makes sense. Because if you can tell me the dream, you ought to be able to tell me what it, or you're able to tell me what happened in the dream. And so Nebuchadnezzar is having this conversation with these individuals. Let me just tell you who these, uh, uh, these soothsayers, these uh, magicians, who these people are. They are the ones who perform magic tricks, the ones who would read tarot cards, the ones who are palm readers, the ones who are stargazers, the ones who would speak to the dead on behalf of, of those that are inquiring. Let me just remind you, it did not work. Here's what it says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 10. The astrologers replied to, king, to the king, no one on earth can tell the king his dream, and no king, however great or powerful, has ever asked such a thing of a magician, an enchanter, or an astrologer. The king's demand is impossible. No no one except the gods can tell you your dream, and they do not live here among people. What a hopeless place to be, and which is why I want to say to you, don't waste your time on mediums, on, 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 on the horoscopes, and stargazing with astrologers, and reading those things. Those things won't matter. Why look to the stars when you can look to the one who made the stars? Why talk to someone who talks to the dead when you can talk to the one who raises dead people from the dead? Why settle for a make-believe when you can have the real thing? And let me just throw this in there. All of those things are of the enemy, of the demonic influence. Don't open yourself up to it. Okay, so that's just a side note that you don't need horoscope and the word. It's the word because that stuff is not of God. Okay, so that I just want to encourage you in that because we are a culture that we want to know the future. I, I, I was a youth pastor, and so this is a long time ago because I, I'm old. I once was young, now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. But when I was a youth pastor, I was at one of our local schools doing an after-prom event uh, I would volunteer for anything I could because I was just a youth pastor like Pastor Mike, and we just get on the, on the campus any way we can. And so I was... I was uh, uh, just uh, volunteering for an after-prom event. And at this after-prom event where I am the youth pastor of this community, there is, and I won't tell you what school it is, so there's three that you could pick from. I won't tell you which one it was. They were doing palm readings in the after-school or in the after-prom right there. I, every time I walk, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. You will not influence this generation. There is a God I will declare. We'll be like Daniel who says, the astrologers say, well, there's a God. We, he doesn't even live among people. I want to be like Daniel who says, oh, no, there is a God. And I know him. I spoke with him. I know what he's able to do. And so I would just want to encourage you, don't open yourself up to the demonic. Don't open yourself up to those things. You say, well, it's just innocence. It's just, no, it's not. It always starts with innocence. Do you know how many things in the wrong direction were just innocent? So you get to a place like, well, how do you get out of that? What do you, you we open ourselves to? Here's, here it is that the king says to them, he says, well, if you're not able to answer me and tell me the dream, then why do I need you? So he says, oh, by the way, tell me what it is and tell me the dream and what it means. And if you do, I'll give you a reward. And if you don't, I will tear you apart limb by limb. That's what he says. You'll be torn apart by limb. And so talk about a motivation, right? <laughs> what will motivate you? I, I want to figure this out. And so they said, no one could do that. The gods can't even, they, they, it's only the gods and they don't dwell among people. And he says, well, in that case, then uh, it's time to die because I don't need you. And so the, one of the commanders makes his way to Daniel's place. Daniel is not among the astrologers and the sorcerers and those people because he doesn't operate the same way they do. 
And so Daniel is a part of the wise men, but he's not in that grouping. So the commander's like, well, we got to go kill everybody. So kill the wise men. I'm heading over to, to, to Daniel's house. He knocks on the door. Daniel says, yeah, can I help you? And the wise men say, or the uh, commander says, yeah, I'm here to kill you. And Daniel says, wait, before you do, uh, give me some time. And he gets the information, says, what's the situation? Well, the king had a dream. No one can tell him the dream. And because no one can tell him the dream, they're no value. He doesn't have use of you, so it's time to die. And so Daniel says, give me time, I'll pray about it. Daniel goes to his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fire walking down the road later on, just fire-defying men. He says, guys, we've got an issue, we've got to pray. They began to pray. I want you to know, you don't need to look to the stars, but when you look to the one who made the stars, he began to pray. God began to work on their behalf. How many know prayer can change things? In a moment, they began to inquire, began to seek of the Lord. I, I want to encourage you. You might be in an exile. You don't like the place that you are. Circumstances aren't good. I understand that, but I want to encourage somebody today because I've had to encourage myself this way. Quit moaning about what you don't like, what's about you and start rejoicing because the one who is with you in the midst of what you don't like. Sometimes I get caught up complaining about what is going on and forgetting that there is one with me in the midst of what I don't like. And so here it is, David is in exile, or Daniel's in exile, and rather than bemoaning where he is, he calls to the one who is with him, that he'll never leave him or forsake him, is with him in every situation. They begin to pray, God answers the next day he goes to commander, he says, I know the king's dream and I know what it means. He go to the king, and of course, uh, the king says uh, to him, what is the, the answer to it? Here's Daniel's, uh, Daniel's response. Whenever the astrologer said, you're asking too hard of a thing, only the gods can do that, and they don't dwell among people. Listen to what Daniel says. I love what Daniel says in, in chapter 2, in uh, verse 27, Daniel gives this response he says, Daniel, it says, uh, he replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. There is a God. Daniel says, there is a God. God has revealed to me. And so here we have the first vision that is given, and Daniel gives future events, and some of those future events speak to us in our day and in our time. And my hope today is as we look at this that you'll be encouraged because if the word of God is so true, how many know if it's so true and what it's proven in the past, you can trust it for what it's going to do in the future. And so I hope you get encouraged today as we look at this. Uh, that was the intro, but Daniel chapter two, verse 29, why don't you stand with me? And uh, I wanna read a lot of verses here. Daniel chapter two, here's his first vision that he gives to the king Nebuchadnezzar, while your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen in the future. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else than I, that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what is in your heart. What is the reason for the prophecy? It's not so Daniel can say, look at me, I've got a gift of prophecy. It was so that God could reveal what was in the king's heart. The gifts that God gives you are not yours. They're God's. They're on loan from him for his purpose. We like titles and ministries and placards. I am the prophet, apostle of the first blah, 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 yada, 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 whatever. No, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And I operate in the gifts that God gives me in the season, in the moment, to be what God's called me to be for what he needs for his kingdom and for his purpose. 
He says, it's not, it's not because I'm better than anyone else. It's because God wants to reveal what is in your heart. In your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. This is the first version of Iron Man. As you watched, a rock was cut from the mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace like chaff on a threshing floor, but the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. I love that Daniel says, now we. Why does he say we? He doesn't have a split personality. He knows I'm partnering with God. It's the spirit. Now we will show what it means. He says, your majesty, you are the greatest king of, of the greatest of kings The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. Do you realize that when someone already has a big head, it's probably not healthy to make their head bigger? This is is Nebuchadnezzar. He was already blown up. And Nebuchadnezzar later, he's like, oh, I had a dream of a statue? Wait till I create the real one out of all gold. He does that later. Like he doesn't get it at all. When God says, you have pride, you're going to get it knocked down because pride comes before the fall. Nebuchadnezzar's like, nah, I'll show you how proud I can be. And uh, so he's made of gold, hits the head. He says to him, he says, but after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise up and take your place. After that kingdom has fallen, yet a third kingdom represented by bronze will rise and rule the world. Following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one. As strong as iron, that kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. That's a key word. The kingdom's going to be divided like iron mixed with clay clay, it will have some of its strength of iron, but while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances with each other through intermarriage, but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all the kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut out from the mountain, though not by human hands that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. God, I thank you that its meaning is still at work, and God, you have accomplished things in the past, and you're not done. I pray that we would hold on with confident hope of what you're yet to do in the future because the best is yet to come in Jesus' name. Come on, if you agree with that today, would you say amen? You may be seated. Tell your neighbor the best is yet to come. I hope you believe that today. I want to talk in this first series where we go from here. What what does the future look like? Where do we go from here? Here's the the message or the title I want to talk from today. It's called Vantage Point. 
we have a vantage point because of prophecy. It gives us perspective of where we're going. Now, uh, when you have a vantage point, you get to see properly what is ahead of you. Uh, And so God gives us perspective to see what is ahead of us so that when we face life's circumstances and situations, we do so with a lens of understanding what is ahead of us, not having full knowledge. This is not where God has given us all the details and it all makes sense. Prophecy is not to make us knowledgeable. Prophecy is to give us guidance. It doesn't give us knowledge. It gives us guidance. If it gave us knowledge, it would puff us up. How many know some people try to use it that way? We, we, we like to be puffed up. Well, I know about the end times, and I'll tell you what the mark of the beast means, and I know when it's going to happen, and I know all the stuff about the end times. Wait till I tell you. I'd like to teach you. I got a graph here, and I got everything. I, I don't believe all of that's wrong, but I'll be honest with you. I don't think we can predict all the details. Because the Bible says you don't know the, the season, the time when the Son of Man will come, and that's not for you to know, he says, but just know he's coming. And so because he's coming, be diligent. And so God doesn't give us prophecy to make us knowledgeable. He gives us prophecy to have points of reference and to have guidance. That prophecy does not remind us where we're going. It reminds us who's going with us and who has destined our way, that who has made it possible for us to have a hope and a future. It reminds us that God is with us. Prophecy allows us to have points of reference. And we already have points of reference because now we live to almost 3,000 years past the time of Daniel's writing and we can look back now and we have reference of what has happened and what has taken place. And because we have points of reference that lines up, it ought to cause us to have confidence and hope to know that if he was faithful to this point, he'll be faithful to the rest of it. That he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. Can somebody say amen? That if he's been faithful this far. And so it gives us a point of reference to know what God is setting in motion. Prophecy is not just to prove God, it's to purify the church. I want you to hear that today. Prophecy is not just to prove God. It's not so God can say, see, I told you so. See, I told you that's how it would go. It's not just to prove God. It's to purify the church. Why does that matter to purify the church? Because the church becomes purified when we walk through things and God reveals himself and proves himself true. And how many know that when you've walked with God and he's proven himself, you're more confident to walk with God even more? You walk more and more with him because there is this thing that if I'm going to walk, the the Bible says, come out from among them. He says to Israel, and we're called to holiness, come out from among them and be separate from the way the world does things, which is why it's important. We don't need sorcery. We don't need to talk to the dead. We don't need to call up spirits. We don't need to practice the things that are demonic, the things of the world, because we can walk in the spirit of God, having direct access with God Almighty. This is what Daniel knew. And so Daniel knew I can walk in the spirit and I don't have to fulfill the lust of the flesh. The more I walk in Christ, the more I stand on his firm foundation and the less I've got one foot in and one foot out. Now there are moments I, when I started walking in, I don't know what that looks like, but this is a, a picture for me. I walk in Christ. I am in Christ. And the more I walk in Christ, I believe the more centered I become in Christ. You see, I believe that I am holy in Christ the moment I receive Jesus as my Savior. But I'll be honest with you, there's still more center to get to. I'm in Christ, but there's more center to get into. You can be in the, the light, but how many know you might be in the light and it got rid of the shadow, but you're still not directly under the light. You, you, you follow me today? And so when I begin in my walk with Christ, I'm in the light. The shadow is gone. But now... As I walk in Christ, I become more and more under the light, and even shadows are further and further away. But if I hang on the edge, 
How many know it's easier to have one foot in and one foot out? There becomes this, this reminder to us that whenever we are purified and Christ proves himself, I don't need to taste and see what the world's got because I know Christ is enough. I can tell you, so this is my testimony. I'm not better than anybody else. It's just my testimony. I've known Jesus to be so good in my life, I didn't have to try drugs to see if they might work. That's not better than anyone else. That's the grace of God upon my life that I didn't have to. I got saved at a young age. I didn't have to put one foot in and one foot out. I didn't have to test and see if, well, maybe I'm missing something. How many hear what I'm talking about? It doesn't make me better than anyone else. It makes me recognizing and saying, I have tasted of his goodness, and I don't need to have one foot in and one foot out. Here's the problem with one foot in and one foot out. Whenever things begin to shake, and they will, you won't be standing firm. You know when you've got one foot in and one foot out, and something moves you? Have you ever seen the, the rides? My, my family and I go to Hershey Park. That's where, where our kids grew up. We go to Kennywood every once in a while, but Hershey Park is where we grew up. And so Hershey Park has this ride, the, the whitewater raft. Uh, and uh, so you would get on it. And in order to get on the ride, uh, they would have the, the, the boat that was circling the platform. You would walk down the steps. It was stationary. And you'd get to the bottom of the steps. It was stationary. But then you would step onto the moving platform. And you had to know that when you step on the platform, you can't leave one foot on the stationary platform and one foot on the moving platform. You just step from one to the other. I thought all my kids would figure this out. Jalen, God bless her. Jalen, I thought, you know, we just do this. All of a sudden I hear, Daddy, and she's just step over. But she's she's at this place. Like, what do I do? Here's the problem: when you hang close to the world, one foot in, one foot out, when things begin to shake, your feet are unstable and you'll fall with it, which is why I believe the Bible says in the last days many will fall away. Why? Because their heart is cold, they've grown colder, they've gotten good at one foot in, one foot out. We've gotten good at being in and being out. But oh, that we would be the church that knows the promises of God, knows the word of God is true, knows prophecy that if God has proven in the past, he's proven for the future. I can stand in his word and in his word alone. I don't need a little bit of this and a little bit of that. I've got Jesus and that's all I need. That sounds like old time preaching, but let me just tell you, there is no other option. Because if you have half a salvation, you have no salvation. trying to save my fish and I saved half his life. What? So the other half I flushed it down the door. How do you save half? I saved half of a... How do you save half? So if you're either all in Christ... So what I want... This, this becomes warning for us. Where are we standing? Because if we're standing one foot in and one foot out... Things will shake. Things have already been shaken. Hello. The world has already been shaken. And it's more shaking to come. Now, scripture, that's, I'm going to back this up. And so when it does shake, where will we be? Now, if I'm on a firm foundation, how many know I can't be shaken when the very thing that shakes lives on the inside of me? I'm already, I'm with the one who is doing the shaking. That's like sitting in the bulldozer. How many know I'm not afraid of the bulldozer when I'm sitting in the bulldozer? That bulldozer is going to take things out. Am I afraid? No, I'm not afraid because the bulldozer 
I'm one with it. I'm in. I'm not afraid. It's the difference of the fear of God. On the day of judgment, there will be those that are fearful and those that rejoice. I'm on the side that rejoices. Why? Because I'm on the side where the fire is not burning me. I'm walking where the fire is already burned. I'm not walking with the fire burning me. I'm walking with the one who has already made the way and made it possible for me to walk through. So prophecy doesn't give us uh, it purifies us and gives us the understanding to say, I can be all in Christ. So here's what prophecy does, how it, how it purifies the church. Number one, it reveals the thoughts of man. So prophecy reveals the thoughts of man. Every time prophecy comes, it points to where you are. It identifies where you are and then connects to where God is going. Now, how many know that it's our job to make the conscious decision to now leave where we are and take in, and walk in step with where God is going? There's partnership here. So this is not prophecy where it's like, well, don't do anything. God will just bring it about. No, you have to believe on Jesus Christ. You have to trust in the Lord with all your heart. You have to walk in the ways of the Lord. There is a partnership, which is why Daniel said, we will tell you the dream. We, because God is the one who does it, but God is using me. I have to partner with God. I have to make those decisions. I have to walk in him. So it reveals where we are. It gives recognition of what's happening. The word comes for that purpose, to reveal what is taking place in the heart. It reveals the thoughts that even from the very beginning when Jesus was a, was a baby, he is the word made flesh. When he was taken to the temple eight days old to be, uh, to be uh, at a place of, of being offered in, in, uh, and circumcised, it says this of Jesus. Simeon says, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. That God is revealing, prophecy comes the word of God comes to reveal where we are. That's why it's conviction and not condemnation when God convicts our hearts. He's revealing where we are. It's conviction. It's the word of God. It's prophetic saying this is where you are and you need to move and adjust and, and come in line. Now God is giving a, a, an unknown word as he's talking about the things of the future and not only does prophecy reveal the thoughts but prophecy also becomes reliable truths. Now this is what I want you to see is this, this, uh, this statue that that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of. He's got a dream of a statue that is a, a, uh, of a man, and they all knew that statues represent power and authority. And so here it is. This is power and authority. And so the head is of gold. Well, Daniel already says the head is connected to Babylon. That's you, King Nebuchadnezzar. You're the head. You're gold. But then after you comes silver arms and chest. That is another nation, another empire. That empire is the Medes and Persians. This is what we know as Darius and Cyrus. History already proves it. King Cyrus. Look up King Cyrus. He was the one who made it possible for Daniel. For, for the people of God to rebuild the tabernacle or the temple, that he set those things in motion. History put this in place, but then after the Medes and Persian come the bronze. The bronze is the, uh, is the, the, the waist area, the stomach and the waist, and, and here bronze represents the, the, the Greece, which is the Mesopotamia or the Greece that comes along. We know Greece to be Alexander the... History books prove it. This is something, and here's what's cool to recognize. Daniel is giving witness to this and saying these kingdoms are going to rise. And the moment he says, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to have another kingdom that's going to come and overtake you. It's 60 years down the road. 
But Daniel was calling out things that would be 60 years down the road. After that, there'd be 140 years, there'd be another kingdom. And then after that, another 160 years. After that one, then there'd be about 500 plus years for another. So Daniel in one moment is giving prophecy of something that almost is a thousand years old. Come on, we know the God who reveals. Now, what is important is to look and say, okay, did all that happen? Absolutely. We know history proves it. Who proves it? We've got King Cyrus. We've got Alexander the Great. After Alexander the Great, what happened after Greece? Then you had the legs of iron. Iron was the strongest. They had, they had teeth of iron. They crushed. What followed Alexander the Great? The Roman Empire. Rome became the overtaker. That now you had Rome that reigned for over 500 years, and it was Roman Empire. It proves it all the way through. Daniel gave witness to it. And then it says after the Roman Empire that there would be another. Now, he didn't know it was Rome. He didn't know it was Alexander the Great. He didn't know what it would be. But he was saying what God was putting in place, that there is kingdoms that will be set in place. Then after the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire will be divided. And it will be divided and the toes or the feet are represented because it will be divided and it will be iron and clay feet together. That iron and clay will make up its feet. Why clay? Well, iron because it's Rome. But clay, because now it's families within Rome that begins to rise up. You've got the Anglo-Saxons. You've got the Franks. You've got the Swiss. You've got Europe. Here it is. Daniel is prophesying Europe. Did you all know that? I, that is, you say, oh, that's great, Jason. What's the big deal? The big deal is that this is God's word that is lined up and proven. So then Daniel says at the time of those kings. Well, what is the time of those kings? That those ten rule. Rome and, and clay, or iron and clay together, that's the time that we're in. We're in the time of the divided kingdom. In fact, we came from one of those divided kingdoms. America came from, from Britain, which came from the Anglo-Saxon, which was the Saxon uh, kingdom that was set up. We are from that. This earth right now is in the time of the iron and the clay together. And the Bible says that in the time of those kings, as the iron and clay rule, that there will be a rock that is taken out of a mountain that is not here and mountains represent kingdoms it's a kingdom not of this world that there will be a rock and that rock will strike the feet of the iron and clay and will cause it to crush and to all tumble every empire and every kingdom will fall that kingdom will remain what does that have in time that is this that it's speaking of the rock what is the rock the rock is Jesus Christ he's the cornerstone he is the rock that the rock is going to come back to earth how many believe that there's a second coming of Jesus Christ that the rock is going to come to earth the earth is going to strike those those the, the, the feet that is made up of the iron and the clay, which represents the, the, the kingdoms of its time, that the, Jesus is going to strike that. That's at Armageddon. Now, here's the thing. Before that happens, I'm not going to be here. The church and those who are Christ will be raptured and taken away. Now, listen, something is going to come and shake the earth. The Bible says it will be shaken. So this is reliable truth. What I want you to hear is if we can prove it with history that Daniel spoke of these kingdoms coming and he called out Babylon going to Greece or, or going to the Medes and Persians, going to Greece, going to Rome, going to the European. He didn't know it was Europe, but going to this place and he says there's still another kingdom to come. How many know there is still a kingdom to come? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If he was right with those other four kingdoms, how many know we can trust him for the next one to come 
It's reliable. And because it's reliable, now it allows me to be resolved in trust. And when I'm resolved in trust, when things begin to shake, I can stand firm that my hope is in Jesus Christ. The difference there is I don't have to moan that I'm in exile. I can rejoice that God is with me in the midst of my exile. This is important for us to know as the church because rather than complaining about the person you don't like in office, how about rejoicing that there is one who's never been elected and can never be demoted and never be taken off the throne? I think sometimes we miss it. Sometimes there's some Christians, I wanna, I wanna put my hands on their face in a loving way. I mean it, seriously. And be like, do you know who your God is? Quit complaining about the world and start declaring the word. Quit complaining about how it's going and declare that his kingdom will rule and reign. I've got a kingdom that is not of this earth and whatever happens, I will not be shaken because I'm receiving an unshakable kingdom. Why will I not be shaken when the rock hits the earth? Because I will be with the rock. That's why. I, I cannot be shaken when the one who's doing the shaking is inside of me. It's not going to to shake. And I want you to see the reliable truth that we can have this confident hope. So what does that mean for us? If we know this is reliable, the word of God is reliable. It's true. It, It should bring us to light to recognize that we can be fully and completely in him. And what is important now is to make sure we're not one foot in and one foot out. That we are standing in the truth of God's word. Not that I make sense of all of it. I was praying this week and and I just felt the Lord just speak to me that, you know, there's times that, God, I need wisdom of how to respond to something. And and I had this thought of, God, I got to be determined to do the right thing. And I got to be determined. You know, I'm going to do the right thing. I've got determination. I felt the Holy Spirit say, you need determination, but don't let your determination ever be greater than your dependency. Don't let your determination become greater than your dependency. The moment my dependency on him is less than my determination, I begin to operate in my own strength. But when I remain dependent upon him, what did Daniel say? Daniel said, hey, king, I can't interpret your dream. No sorcerers, no magicians. I can't interpret your dream. But the God who lives inside of me. And so what I'm able to say is I don't have the answers. I don't have the things of what it is, but I know Christ in me will sustain me and keep me. That we have this confident hope. And I I can have this, this knowledge that no matter what I'm walking through, I might not like the exile, might not like the circumstance, the situation that's that's facing me, but here's the truth of the matter. I've got to learn. I don't know if there's anybody else willing to admit that you have to learn like me. Stop complaining about what you don't like and start rejoicing because the one who is with you in the midst, there's one with you. Anybody else? No, just me. Because I like to say, you know what? It's not fair. It's not right. I don't like that. And I can't believe they do this. I walk through stores. I'm like, I can't believe they promote this kind of stuff. I can't believe this stuff happens. I can't believe this is going on. 
Jason, you live in a world where good is called evil and evil is called good. Does that mean I just sit by and ignore it? No, it means I stand up for the truth. But instead of, wow, wow, whoa, whoa, can't believe, hold on, hell, the world's going to, to hell in a handbasket. I don't even know what that means, honestly. But everything's falling apart. It's no good. How about we be the church that says, no, we know the king. We know the one who's written all things. He's still coming. He's in control. And we declare the name of our God. How many would believe that makes all the difference? We don't need a political church. We need a righteous church. We need righteous people who are involved in politics, but we don't need a political church. We need a righteous church because all these politics and all these kingdoms, they're going to fall. But there is a king who's never been elected, can never be dethroned, can never be put out, can never be impeached, that we will rule and reign with him forever. Do we know this? If we know this, how many know we ought to stand with a peace that makes no sense? We ought to stand with a confidence when everything around me is shaken. I stand firm because I have received a kingdom that is unshakable. How many know when I believe that, it changes things? I'm not one foot in and one foot out. I'm standing in the confidence that whatever happens, I want to close with, with this in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. I got to get to it. Here we go. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. When he spoke to Moses, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only earth, but this time the heavens also. This means listen that's because the first time he came he shook the earth but he's coming again and it's going to shake the heavens and the earth he says this means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe for our God is a devouring fire so what do I do I walk in thankfulness yeah I'm in exile but I thank God he's with me yeah I'm in places I don't like but I thank God that he goes before me I give thanks to God and I worship him in awe and fear why because he knows how to tear down kingdoms and he knows how to raise them up he knows how to work on my behalf he knows how to work on my on, for my future he doesn't need the politicians he doesn't need the bank account he doesn't need the right place at the right time he is the right place at the right time he is all things he's ever present he's all-knowing he is my everything We've received an unshakable kingdom. I don't know if there's anybody else in the room that just knows, man, I I, I might not be in places that I always like what it is, but I'm going to stand with confidence. I'm going to declare in Jesus' name, I'm done complaining about where I am, and I'm declaring the one who is with me, the one who is for me, the one who makes a way, the one who is my strength, my shield. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because it's going to turn out? No, because he is with me. I don't care about the outcome. I just care about the one who is with me. Because if the one is with me, he will take care of the outcome. So I don't know today. You got one foot in, one foot out. Because when things start to shake, if you're not on good foundation, how many know you'll be part of the falling away? But if you stand pure, not perfect, but firm, 
that Jesus, it's you and nothing else. I don't need Jesus and something else. Jesus, you alone are everything I need, and you'll hold me. Come on, if you believe that today, if you declare that, why don't you stand in this place all across this room, and would you just declare that over your situation? I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what you're facing. You might be like, Daniel, you're in an exile. You're in a place of God. Do you even know where I am? And God says, oh, yeah, I do. I know what you're walking through. I know what you're in. He's a God that is with us. He's for you. Come on.